0: You're listening to Season 2 of the Hypotheticals Podcast. I'm Adriano. I'm Andy, and this episode is sponsored by Mr. Flamboli's Flem Factory. Call now for your free <coughs> sample.
1: Andy. Hello. Hello. Um, Science, Andy. It marches onwards, ever onwards, or, you know, at least in a direction.
0: But Yeah, damn it, damn it, science. Why you got to keep on going? We've (laughs) we've had enough.
1: (laughs) Frankly, it's a little tiring and uh, it's a little tiresome to keep up with. So in the spirit of sort of uh, rediscovery, what are some old scientific models uh, that have turned out to be, frankly, wrong, not to put too fine a point on it? And uh, what if they turn out to actually be real? There's a
0: lot of weird scientific models because people in the past were, you know, not going to put a fine point on it. Quite dumb. Yeah, um, oh yeah, idiots. Taught I me mean, down. you know, some could say that we've had the, the benefit of hindsight, but no, no, they were stupid. Uh, so an example of this is Spontaneous Generation. I don't know if you've heard of it. So yes. this was a body of thought that suggested that certain animals, and I think plants as well, but mainly animals they focused on, uh, formed spontaneously from their environment. So rather than animals reproducing, I don't know what they thought animals were doing when they gave each other those special hugs, but anyway, uh,
1: <laughs> rather
0: than <laughs> reproduction from existing animals, that things would just spring from certain materials. So some uh, real examples of this were scallops uh the sort of you know the uh clam-like creatures were theorized mm-hmm. to just form from sand just sand and you'll have enough sand and an ocean and you'll create scallops uh anchovies were thought to form yeah. from sea foam the bub the bubbles on uh, on the ocean <laughs> snakes and crocodiles were thought to form from the mud of the nile rats and mice from wheat and the weirdest one i found was what? scorpions from heated basil not just
1: not just normal basil no really, finally heated you're telling um, me if you yeah, cook tons of these. basil, you're in danger of just spontaneous scorpions showing up in your omelet or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you'll
0: be like hovering over your, your pan of pasta going, should I add any basil? And then you drop <laughs> it in and suddenly an explosion of oh, scorpions. No, too
1: much. <laughs> they just pour out. <laughs> Interesting. God, that would be a real boon to like the desert survivalist who needs some protein or you know, some extra chitin in their diet or whatever. Like as long as you've got some dry basil, you're never going to run out of a creepy crawlies to eat. Yeah, I don't know how much you need to create it. Do you need the same
0: quantity of basil to create a scorpion, in which case you're not really gaining much? or yeah,
1: but that could be really handy because it's like a conversion at that stage, even if there's some loss in the system. Like, basil's delicious, um, but it's not, like, you know, nutritionally super valuable. Human bodies aren't that great at breaking down cellulose. So maybe scorpions aren't, like, the ideal gourmet treat. um but generating anchovies from sea foam which i i really like this actually because why the foamy bit of the sea did they just like stroll along after a storm or something and there were a load of like you know the way like dead fish kind of wash up yeah but you ever witnessed this yeah yeah or
0: maybe it was that the the anchovies are jumping through the you know maybe this was at a time where there were many more anchovies in the sea before you killed them all um Mm -hmm. so they were like sort of writhing at the surface and they were creating a sort of foam i don't know
1: so they were like that must be their native environment that's where they yeah that's where we're witnessing the the anchovy spawn yeah Mm. and the sand is is the ocean uh, a critical element for the generation of scallops or if you just have some dry sand lying around are you in danger of like Spontaneous well, I assume molests. it would be wet
0: sand, but who knows in this scenario, because how do you define sand? Presumably you need a specific yeah. type of sand to create a scallop.
1: Did they test it? Or were they just like <laughs> happy that, you know, like, was there any enterprising farmer who was like, well, I can get me some, I know where I can get some sand real cheap few buckets of seawater, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to get this going. I I, I can have those (laughs) in the back of the restaurant. I'm going to save on shipping and everything. Like, think of the faff we go through trying to get fresh seafood to inland restaurants or foreign Mm -hmm. restaurants, you know? Like, it's a mess. Imagine if you could just generate it in the kitchen because of having, like, the right type of sand.
0: Yeah, it'd be perfect. you never... I mean, in a way, it would uh, damage a lot of economies because you never need to buy anything again. Apart from, I guess, actually, no. Everyone's just buying materials in huge quantities Mm -hmm. just to yeah grow your own at home but just to briefly go back to the scorpion issue (laughs) there's a there's a lot of scorpions in you know in some hot places there's a lot of them Mm -hmm. how much heated basil did they think was kicking around the
1: place like (laughs) who's just leaving basil out in the sun it's true, because, like, fish coming from the sea, like, all right, I can see where you're coming from. Like, I don't know why anchovies specifically are what gets generated by sea foam, but all right, that seems natural enough. But yeah, basil leading to scorpions, that, there's a non sequitur in the logic there, I'm pretty sure. Like, did some guy just have a barrel of, basil and he likely heated it for some reason and scorpions came out and he was like well that's that then i guess saw it happened one time i <laughs> need so. to investigate
0: this any further it <laughs> I've seems got my like conclusion.
1: it's not hard to dispute like i i can see how they'd be like okay yeah i keep finding rats and mice in my grain sacks so like presumably they're just showing up because i'm pretty sure i you know sealed up all the little mouse holes but uh yeah i feel like the basil and scorpion one is is really quite easy to disprove actually yeah,
0: I mean, another really weird example is that they thought that um bar- there's a goose called a barnacle goose which is so named because they thought that it that it emerged from goose barnacles which no. are a different animal. <laughs> so yeah, they thought that they were like eggs uh the barnacles and that the goose emerged from them which led to the idea that it was actually a type of fish and so you could eat it at lent.
1: Oh, that's such a good scam.
0: <laughs> it's a, that's such it's a, a great good loophole scam, to exploit. Isn't it?
1: Yeah, like when God parts the clouds and starts yelling down at you because you didn't do the right observances, you're like, no, no, no. (laughs) We figured it out. This one's a fish. Our lawyers said. (laughs) I know it's exactly
0: like all the other geese, but look, (laughs) it comes from these barnacles. Wait, just wait a second. It'll come out. (laughs) Any minute. (laughs) Any
1: minute. So, is a goose barnacle a real animal, or did they create like a fictitious larval stage for this type of goose?
0: No, there is a real animal called a goose barnacle, but it's only called a goose barnacle because that's where they the barnacle goose came from. It's a weird sort of circular. Each was named after the other.
1: That's amazing, though. Like, what gave them this impression? Let's be honest, it didn't take much to be like a scientist back then, did it? Basically, you just like you need, yeah, you need to be able to write stuff down and sound authoritative. I guess that was it. Yeah, like they probably judged you based on the length of your beard, um, and then provided <laughs> just, yeah, you could sell convincingly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's technically a fish, actually. And it was like, oh, yeah, no, yeah, 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 a fish, she says. No, to get down. Hey, like, yeah, curvy. mice
0: do just appear out of nowhere. Huh, guess they must uh, spawn from wheat.
1: <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, you can, the experiment, um, or rather the example that I've always heard is that maggots spontaneously generate from dead flesh. And I can see... How you'd get that impression and also you know like there's some there's you can look at river mud and they're like at some point in like the season bugs will crawl out of it even though you never saw bugs go in like there's a lot of instances in nature where things will like change you know like i saw a caterpillar crawl into this weird sort of cocoon thing and then a freaking butterfly came out like i didn't see that going that was really weird where did the caterpillar go there's a lot of confusing (laughs) stuff that might give you the wrong idea but i really feel like they took it too far if they legit thought scorpions were popping out of people's herbs if they were gently heated and what is that for is that like activation energy like you need to do you have to heat the seawater to get scallops and stuff very strange I don't know.
0: I don't think they put that much thought into it, to be honest. It doesn't sound like uh, that. If this were true, so suddenly, extinction, big big issue at the moment, suddenly, not as much of a big deal. You can just get the right environmental conditions back, and all the animals and plants that we thought that we'd lost, they just pop back into existence. So nothing's ever lost. You're just like, hey, we got it back. And presumably, like, Jurassic Park would be quite a different film, because they just, they're (laughs) not like getting DNA out of this bit of amber with a mosquito in it. Mm -hmm. They're just like... I don't know, creating the, the same level of CO2 in this dome uh, and the right atmosphere conditions as when the dinosaurs were around and suddenly a T-Rex just, like, you know, jumps <laughs> out rubs. of a um, lake or whatever. <laughs> yeah,
1: bam, I'm back. It <laughs> jumps out, I'm back, baby. <laughs> Finger gallows. <laughs> on a rampage. Yeah, I'm doing it. Well, first you'd have to wait for, like, some stegosauruses and things to spontaneously generate so it has something to eat. They probably didn't eat stegosauruses. I don't know much about dinosaurs, but... Yeah, ecosystems would be quite bizarre, actually, if you had, like, quite complex creatures just popping up as well. Like, scorpions, they're not occupying the base level of the food chain. So that leads to some, like, ecological questions. Like, like the whole business of the... Um, what is it, like, the energy pyramid or whatever? Like, the whole business where you need a lot of grass to, like, maintain a herd of cows, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: if you were going to... I've picked an animal that doesn't really have any natural predators. Does anything eat cows apart from humans? I uh, say T Rexes. We were talking let's about T Rexes. All like
0: lions in the wild, they would eat cow-like okay. animals.
1: There we go. Let's go lions. Uh, you need a lot of grass to maintain a herd of cows, and then you need a lot of cows to maintain one lion, right? But if you can just skip straight from grass to lion without any intervening stages, I mean. Yeah, we already said. Like, does it take a barrel of basil to create one scorpion, or is it like a one-to-one mass thing, or is it like I uh, heated up a basil leaf and stirred into this big old scorpion? That would really mess with things, but it'd be super handy for the restaurant industry. That would be handy because, yeah, I guess uh, they're not—they're not coming fully formed, are
0: they? Or or did they think that they came fully formed? Because then what? you could just have great a lion has popped into existence and you've immediately killed it. Like, <laughs> it's existed for like two seconds, and it is gone, and now you're mounting its head on a wall, and, I don't know, you're eating lime meat for some reason. You'd have to but, move fast, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to grow the animal, All the like, invest all this time in growing it, it's just, nah, it's gone now.
1: I reckon they must have thought they, they popped into existence, like, fully formed, because otherwise... Because, like, with maggots and things, like, I can't tell if it's, like, a ripe adult maggot, or, like, some kind of interstitial sort of semi-formed stage, but, like, with a scorpion or an anchovy... You know, like it's—it's it's not like they thought only tadpoles showed up, and then you got frogs afterwards. Like scorpions don't do that, right? They don't have a larval stage that I'm aware of. Uh, I think in real life they
0: do, but I don't do think they? you often see it. Oh. I may be wrong on that one because no, oh no,
1: they're arachnids. Oh, I don't know now. I don't. Okay. Know. Well, I know mice definitely do. Obviously, they go through that <laughs> phase with have the wings. larval stage. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they thought rats <laughs> were like adult mice. Who knows with these guys? You start yeah. with grain, and then each little kernel goes, pop, like popcorn, turns into a mouse. <laughs>
0: you put it in the microwave, and you
1: get, oh, just a mouse <laughs> massacre. Ping, 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 ping. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to wait for the pops to become, like, less frequent once you hit, like, a oh, certain sort of cadence. splatty-type pops. Yes, exactly. And then uh, enjoy your, your hot bowl of mouse stew. Delicious. Come on, kids, off to the cinema.
0: <laughs> just give you this gruesome.
1: bucket. Okay, listen, that's horrifying. Um, let's talk instead about, uh, the elements. Because I think they disprove the spontaneous generation thing by, like, properly sealing off an environment, right? They got, like, murky water in, like, one jar and, and like, sealed it off and the other one they didn't seal and you got, like, flies in one of them but not in the other. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. I think? Yeah, sounds very right. Uh, right. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think so. Yeah. I've no idea how you go about, sort of, disproving the idea of the four classical elements of earth air fire and uh, what's the other one water there we go <laughs> water <laughs> <laughs> because like it's the kind of idea that has a weird kind of poetry to it but also makes no sense whatsoever like even to a cursory inspection like what do they mean things are made of fire because it seems really quite sort of binary something's either on fire or it isn't. Obviously, we now know that fire is like an ongoing gaseous reaction, as opposed to like a substance. And I have no idea what made them think back in the day. Like, oh yeah, you want to, you want to, you want to create a man. I'm pretty sure you just need some dirt, get some water, like wet dirt, yeah, some clay. <laughs> and I get it, and then fire. That's you're going to be a missing element. You're just going to need some air and some fire. Mix them together somehow, human being. That's yeah. Oh. I guess
0: fire, it might be like the the movement, you know, like the in this it might be the equivalent of just energy in general, but I guess there's right. a crossover with air as well, but like that's the sort of the motive force is like the, the fire, the earth is like the solid,
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I don't know what they were thinking to be honest. There's a kind of logic though I suppose, because yeah, they've gotten as far as like different stages of states of matter, you've got your solid, you've got your liquid, you've got your gas, and then you've got question mark i guess for fire it's like energy quote unquote yeah but tell you what if there were only these four things and you only had to worry about like proportions i guess unless it's a case of like it matters what order you mix them in but like if it's basically you've got like four primary colors um Mm. i feel like material science would just be like so much easier like being an engineer or whatever you know you probably
0: yeah it's basically a return to alchemy isn't it just like people creating gold Mm. out of
1: nothing really did these cross over like alchemists who thought know. you could turn lead into gold because i i would have imagined that by this point they'd cottoned onto the idea but i'm i honestly don't know now huh. yeah
0: but i'm imagining a sort of um a 3d printer scenario mm-hmm. so you load up yeah. your printer with your four cartridges <laughs> Yeah. it's like oh i'm running low on water or i'm well that I was mean, easy you know i'm running low on fire that's would funny. be yeah <laughs> most that's the problem you gotta go to the, one. to the shop for that one yeah <laughs> um, don't buy the
1: knockoff <laughs> fire cartridges <laughs>
0: really yeah, not the same quality. The, yeah. You don't want to do that; it's quite dangerous. But mm-hmm. then you like you've got this weird sort of arrangement in the middle of this printer where there's four nozzles pointing at each other, mm-hmm. and yeah, you just you can just print literally anything. Yeah. Like suddenly, I don't know
1: how how would you print hydrogen without it just blowing up? Uh, well, I don't think you would because the thing is, there wouldn't be any hydrogen. There's just air. I oh, think you'd have less a stuff. Right? You wouldn't. You yeah. wouldn't be getting like oh, uh, we've created like a ceramic Teflon compound. No, you'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's made of metal, okay? That's as far as we've gotten. <laughs> There's like three kinds, maybe. It would just yeah. be simpler. But yeah, presumably you'd be able to 3D print your own mice, mouse stew or whatever. Dead <laughs> <Very> easy. <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, you you're going to end up with...
0: We've touched on this issue before, but just if you give everyone the ability to create everything, any material that they need... Any mm. material that was previously valuable crashes in value. So oh, gold, yeah. but also Over-night. any like rare earth element, you know, suddenly is everywhere. So in some ways, it'd be great for stuff like electric cars or mm. uh, electronics, where currently we've, we've got to mine huge like chasms out of the earth just to get a tiny bit of this metal out. Now you can just build it with your weird blowtorch in a wind tunnel with, uh, I don't know, like, like a sandstorm it. blowing in, and then it's like raining at the same time. Yeah, you're good. Um And you create a ton of gold, or a ton of lithium.
1: It's true, the heavy elements that were previously like exclusively the purview of the supernova, like you had to blow up a star to get this stuff, now just like any fool <laughs> with a bucket of sand and easy access to fire is uh, is hard to chart. Yeah, that'll be quite revolutionary. Uh, we could, you know, craft a, a utopia or um, just run it into the ground, probably. Yeah, I think a- any flammable material suddenly becomes very
0: valuable because that's your... If you don't have anything to burn, you don't have any way to create things.
1: That's a really good point. And actually, uh, I'm quite ignorant of... Did they think that like the fire within an object was what burned? Oh, ooh. I'm not really sure how it works, to be honest. Although I don't really know. This does lead me to uh, my next thought, which was: what if instead of uh, fewer substances, we had more? Because um, mm. I particularly like the ones that they just made up because they thought it explained things uh, better than it not existing. So specifically, phlogiston—that uh, rings a bell. Is that that's also to do with fire, isn't it? Very much so. I, I'm pretty sure the idea was. Um, that anything flammable contained phlogiston Um, and i think basically without getting too sciencey because i don't understand it um i think (laughs) what happens is that like what actually happens with fire is that your carbon or whatever is oxidizing or oxidating something oxy um oxidizing i think yeah okay what's oxidating did i just make that up it's like the more Uh, romantic version they could be interchangeable for all i know yeah, well, anyway, uh, there's an oxygen thing happening, um, <laughs> and so there's like a mass change, basically, because, uh, yeah, like turning wood into charcoal, you, you lose a bunch of carbon, which turns into carbon dioxide and smoke and certain, all the rest of it, um, and oxygen bonds with it, and you get a, this change in mass that they used to explain um, by the presence of phlogiston. So they were like, ah, well, what's happening here is your wood is full of this mysterious substance that you can't see or detect except by setting fire to it. And, uh, <laughs> then when it burns, uh, it just and goes away, you see, and that's why it gets lighter. And, uh, yeah, it turned out eventually, um, that that is not a real thing. They just made up a substance for no reason. Fireworks perfectly well without it. Thank you very much. Um, but I like the idea of, of, Because I feel like the flammability of stuff is currently sort of unnecessarily complicated. Like, it's nice and easy when... I I know paper burns and wood burns and, you know, um, if your tree... If your log's, like, too green, then you've got to wait for it to turn brown and then it'll burn better. But it would just be a lot easier if you just knew how much phlogiston is in there, and that's it. That's your index of flammability. Just one number, Right, you, you've done. got
0: a sort of instrument. Yeah, it's, it just has a simple gauge like, oh, this is 20% phlogiston. This will burn fairly well if I get a lot of fire and uh, or a lot of heat and just apply it liberally. This one's yes. 2% phlogiston. Don't even bother. It's yeah, not going to no, burn. No point.
1: There'd be like a magic threshold, and then, yeah, you're, you're good to go. I feel like it'd make uh, designing fireworks a lot easier, making fireproof stuff. Way easier. Just make stuff that doesn't have phlogiston in it. Dead easy. Um, Sounds you quite dangerous
0: because have... you could just harness. uh You could purify ph- phlogiston and mm. just make explosives. Or you'd probably uh, get. Uh, what else what could was you do it, with like it?
1: Greek fire or whatever that stuff was, like that mythical ancient weapon that I don't think we ever recreated. I could be wrong. we probably already uh, purified. Let's like let's like probably um, you know how they would have thought uh, nuclear bombs work or something. Like surely a fire of that magnitude must be. Phlogiston of the finest quality. Yeah. Yeah. But you wouldn't have any Grenfell Tower type disasters. Um, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, that was an apartment block um that famously burned down a few years ago here in the UK. Um because of uh, what was it? It was like the building material. Uh, yeah, yeah was was flammable. I mean
0: <laughs> theoretically in today's society we shouldn't have uh, flammable cladding anyway.
1: <laughs> but so I
0: don't think phlogiston would would have solved that. Uh, well but I yeah. was
1: hoping, I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume they just didn't know what they were doing, because, like, it was an old building. But did they just, they knew that it was mad flammable, but it was just cheaper or something? Like, what's I the deal? I think
0: there'd been, I, I don't know enough about this topic, but I think there had been reviews where they had been told, you need to replace this cladding, and I think that they didn't. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're moving into a more serious area here, <laughs> because there's a big
1: yeah. I know. Okay. Well, listen, my favorite thing about um, the phlogiston business is because, yeah, if it becomes just m- so much easier to make fireproof stuff because it's like, oh, we just don't got a phlogiston. Turns out you can react it with this other thing and uh, we just remove it from everything, uh, then you can make Fahrenheit 451 a reality. Did you ever read that? Uh, with the book burning, you have to burn exactly. books at
0: 451 Fahrenheit, apparently.
1: Yes. Uh, I think, yeah, that must, that. I think that's the burning, like, temperature of paper or something is where the title comes from. Um, I think so. But it's great. I really like it. I'm always a big fan of, um, now, I love me some books. Big fan. Uh, I think, they, like, reading makes you better. Like, I'm, I'm firmly entrenched uh, on that side of the fence. So this is a philosophy <laughs> I agree with. But I, always but find I wish it... that they burned more easily. <laughs> exactly that's the problem no 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 um i always like it when authors sort of espouse the uh moral superiority of books in their Mm -hmm. books you know what i mean like congratulations
0: um... reader you are reading a book which are the best
1: yeah, and I write books, and we can agree that we're therefore the best people, right? <laughs> it's like it's always a little bit hmm, like yeah. I, I think books are great also, but I also think you might be a little bit biased, Mr. Bookwriter. Anyway. <laughs> um yeah, so that in this dystopian future, um, books have been outlawed, the government's obviously controlling everybody's sort of thoughts. Um, and my favorite part is the <laughs> the fire department. Um, doesn't have a job anymore because they figured out how to make houses completely 100% fireproof and everything <laughs> within them also. Like nothing burns unless you want it to. So the job of the fire department is to drive around still in their wee-woo wagons, except now instead of being tanks of water, it's tanks of kerosene. Um, <laughs> and when it turns out somebody, oh, naughty, naughty, somebody owns books, which of course are contraband, uh, then they drive right round to their house and just a burn it. Just incinerate the whole place. they got their kerosene hoses and just... To make sure they get all the books, you're going to have to nuke it. So
0: so yeah, I was right. Books don't burn easily enough. We need to up the phlogiston content and then when we (laughs) hit that futuristic dystopian um, I said that the wrong way around. The dystopian future Uh, We can burn them all really easily and not worry about it.
1: See, that's great. I was thinking that it would be easier to make the fireproof houses, which are like a a prerequisite for this. But I like the idea that it might even be more, even more efficient um, to just make all books so incredibly flammable that nobody has a chance (laughs) to like own them or interact with them in any way at all um, because you just print the thing and then, you know, just paper. It doesn't Well, it'd be great
0: for, for spies because you know burn after reading hey you don't even have to worry about that anymore because after like five seconds in the air it's burnt it's gone
1: are you sick of eating your instructions it's like the (laughs) infomercial everything's black and white it's like has this ever happened to you this guy's just his mouth full of paper he's got a carton of milk and a bowl and he's just oh i'm so sad (laughs) eating all this yeah he's receiving like tons of messages every day he tips the milk carton up and it's like, oh, he's out of milk, hands on hips, like, <laughs> what am I gonna do? I can't eat all this paper dry, if only there were a better way. <laughs> and then, like, cut to colour and, like, the jaunty music, and this guy's happy because his paper's on fire. And he's yeah. still eating it with the, with the <laughs> Big grin, smoke coming out of ears, that's what we need. He, he opens, he, you know, upends the
0: carton and just fire pours out onto the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for just <your> <laughs>
1: thumbs up that's five stars from me for corp.
0: <laughs> well speaking of um, uh, materials which which uh, and and thing yeah matter which which doesn't actually exist which they thought made up is garbage
1: in, uh,
0: <laughs> i want to talk about odile uh, which was also Ooh. referred to as imponderable matter by the victorian's um, so i love it this, already i've never heard of this y- this yeah was a substance which was produced they thought by decaying bodies. So quite grim, quite typically Victorian. Um, Mm. And they thought it could carry light, heat, and magnetism. So it was used to explain all sorts of supernatural phenomena, uh, such as ghosts. So they still believed Ah. that the things that people were seeing as ghosts were real, but they thought that there was a scientific explanation, and that explanation was Odile.
1: Clever. So was it a case of, like... um... Uh, you just you think you were talking to your dead grandpapa, but you just inhaled some odile, or was it like no, your dead grandpapa has absolutely been communicating, and the way he's been doing it is through odile.
0: I think it was somewhere in between. It was because if you lived in an old house, that you might be over some graveyard or whatever, and mm-hmm. the the odile released would emit light or sound. Okay. So you weren't breathing it in and hallucinating. It was actually a a physical
1: thing that you could see. I see, but it wasn't like the substance of ghosts. It wasn't like... No, no, as far as I understand it.
0: But uh, if this was found out to be true, suddenly there would be a lot of extremely uh, macabre um, utilities for it. So slaughterhouses suddenly uh, have a second revenue stream and that is collecting odile from decaying animals. You know, the bits that they don't sell to butchers or whatever. So they collect that odile, they bottle it, uh, and you could use it in... Haunted houses for an extra realistic feel, um, mm-hmm. cinemas for interactive special effects. You don't need, you don't need a VFX team anymore. You just pump that room full of odile and suddenly you've got random. You can't predict what's going to happen, presumably, but you've got random specters and lights and sounds That's just great. coming from all over the place. You can even um, watch a
1: terrible old movie with no visual effects whatsoever, and just as long as you gas that chamber sufficiently, uh, people yeah. will still be having a great time seeing all kinds of stuff.
0: I mean, it would presumably it would smell terrible
1: <laughs> because
0: you're, you're harvesting it from yeah. decaying animals. But I think people could put up with that for the sake of a bit of uh, adventure, scary fun. Um,
1: well, yeah. And you've got to bear in <laughs> mind that back in the day, everything just stank a lot more, I think. So people would probably just be used to it. Yeah.
0: The other thing you could use it as is as a security measure. So mm. you just emit it around places that you don't want people to go. Uh, let's say not a lot of people know about Odal. you just omit it, and people stay away because, like, oh, that place is haunted, when in fact you're oh, just yeah. a top-secret laboratory or something.
1: Hauntings on demand. That's very good. I like mm. that. Well, I like the idea that, like, sufficiently refined, we could probably figure out some quite clever things to do with it, you know, like... Um... Oh, I'm picturing, like if this stuff, essentially it's like a conductive medium, like it can transmit light and heat and stuff. Like I want, um, I want Odile filled tubes working as like fiber optics and stuff. Like it would be interesting to have a material that you specifically have to harvest corpses for. (laughs) Because as far as I'm aware, it's a very
0: steampunk sort of material, isn't it? It really is.
1: Yeah. Just like a mysterious gaseous emanation. And, yeah, uh, you've got all these
0: like neon signs that are just mm-hmm. filled with Odile, and then you know they're they're the signs on the factory which is just slaughtering cattle, just left, yes. right, and centre. No they one absolutely. eats meat anymore because it's far more valuable to just let it rot. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, that's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it's not released like by the act of death. It's uh, like sort of pound for pound. Like the more rotting meat you've got, the more uh, the more odile you get, presumably. And like maybe the fresh stuff is better. Maybe it loses its potency. Maybe you get different flavors. Like this is cow odile. This is Are you say you know, this is grass fresh, fed organic cow. The fresh cow odile. decaying
0: meat is better.
1: <laughs> it's possible. Oh well,
0: yes, this this uh, this carcass lovely and fresh.
1: Smell that odile on there. You might end up in a really messed up situation where, like, you need to basically like whatever bizarre machine you construct to make use of this wonderful new material. You have to like feed corpses directly into it. It's not enough to like harvest right. it one time and then just have the material. Like, it loses its uh, energetic properties, and so you. I can to...
0: definitely see this resulting in a murder bot scenario. Where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, how- it'd be easier rather than us having to feed these corpses in. Why don't we get it to collect its own corpses? It's the <laughs> so efficiency factor just, just goes way up. going yeah. out,
1: just grabbing people, feeding them in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the Matrix would make a lot more sense, actually, because my, my main annoyance with that was the whole deal with uh, using humans as batteries just being, like, incredibly inefficient But uh, if it turns out you need decaying biological matter to create some component that is incredibly important for futuristic machinery, then suddenly they've got a a reason to keep us all there in those pods. Yeah, something they should have gone into. Mm. Odile, very cool. Well, that reminds me of ether, luminiferous ether, which is uh, my other um, favourite made-up substance. Because that's what they thought uh, space was full of. And they thought that it carried... uh, Because they were like, so light and stuff is, you know, there's waves in space, clearly. But what are they waves in? So they hadn't gotten as far as the electromagnetic spectrum. Um, They were like, clearly, space is full of a substance, just like we've got an atmosphere and you get waves of water and stuff. Space, just full of ether. So if that was true... What what actual difference would that make? I guess the
0: the thing which springs to my mind is that you've suddenly got resistance in space. So at the moment yes. we just like we point a rocket, it escapes the atmosphere, and then it's like pretty much just good to go. It just yeah, carries on hard with bit that is momentum. Up there there's nothing then... to stop it. Whereas now you can keep like pushing swinging. on through.
1: Yeah. What a mess, right? It'll be awful. Also, I don't know the vacuum cleaners would work anymore. Um <laughs> I don't like does is does ether just show up? Like, is there no such thing as a vacuum now? Um, right. I don't know. Like, straws might not work. You might not be able to suck anything. Toilet plungers, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> um, you start.
0: You try to drink through a straw, and immediately upon sucking, you just you're tasting this luminiferous ether. You're like, eh, eh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Your mouth. <just laughs> Why fills does this milk taste funny? Yeah.
1: yeah, that's weird. Uh, Yeah. Well, I like the idea of of, um, having to, of mining it basically, because maybe it'd be quite a useful substance. Certainly like, um, you know, even better than helium for balloons and stuff and, or, you know, medical applications, I guess. Uh, So I like the idea of of going up there into like low earth orbit or, um, you know, whatever the the confines of the atmosphere are, just trying to get up there so that we can grab it, bring it back down here. I like the idea of mining space.
0: I also like I, the visual is quite cool because I'm imagining you go up to there's like a a space where the air of the Earth meets this luminiferous ether, and I'm mm-hmm. imagining literal waves like the sea. It's probably not what they were thinking of, but you no, know no, no, you're no. just like running your hand through the ether as
1: you you pass in your balloon or whatever. Yes, and it's just like curling off in these delightful wisps. It's probably what causes the aurora borealis and the aurora australis. Probably what's up luminiferous ether. And I really like um, old-fashioned sci-fi is the best. I remember someone telling me about a story where, like, (laughs) it was way before space travel was a thing you could realistically contemplate, but they were writing about it in a fictional setting. And it was all like, you know, in his leather spacesuit, the man destroyed the stone. It's like, yeah, leather (laughs) spacesuit, absolutely. It's like real fine stitching. (laughs) That's going to do it. Um, Anyway, yes, in the spirit of this, H.P. Lovecraft has got uh, at least one story where there's an alien race who, they're supposed to be super scary. They're like living in secret in these hills and forests and, um, you know, doing spooky alien stuff and occasionally abducting people and so on. So this sort of looming threat. Um, But the fun thing about them is they're super intelligent and, you know, they can travel between stars, which is like crazy to the Victorian mind. Um, but they're, like, really clumsy and kind of rubbish on Earth, uh, physically. And the reason being, they have these big old wings they've got to contend with, but they suck at flying on Earth because the wings are adapted to, uh, flying in ether. So, that's how they travel from planet to planet, is they just fly. They don't need any spacecraft. Just flap, flap.
0: It is weird to imagine space travel in that sense, because... It's like the sea. You just, you know, I've ju- I've just got to go that far. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but like, it's just like- It does change can, the game. You can feasibly get anywhere with not that much effort as long as, mm-hmm. you know, you just need to invest a lot of time. Whereas at the moment it's like, God, we've got to escape gravity.
1: Yeah. I don't know. If you could breathe this stuff, um, then I think the main thing you'd have to worry about, apart from getting hungry and stuff, is just getting super cold up there yeah although i get to be fair a lot of the cold is because space is a vacuum so you only get the heat that you get from radiation i believe there's no conduction but if the whole place is full of ether and uh, that's able to conduct heat then maybe it's you know just like as cold as the sea but not as cold as the pitiless depths of the cosmos <laughs> so it could actually be really handy maybe we should make some and pump it up there yeah this is a massive
0: tangent but just talking about breathing ether. Mm. Have you heard of the... Um, there's, a, there's a liquid which has been sort of... I think they synthesized the liquid where it contains a huge amount of oxygen and you mm-hmm. can't actually breathe it.
1: Oh, what? Or at least they've
0: done it with animals. They've done it... I, there was a film. I cannot remember what the film was, but they... Uh, this was before special effects. So they literally had a rat in this fluid um, mm. sort of breathing this liquid so, wow. I mean, terrible, you know, animal rights sort of stuff, because that can yeah. be pleasant, because it's like, yeah. imagine having You'd your lungs feel full like of liquid, you're Yet you're somehow still able to breathe. Huh? But yeah, like, theoretically, I don't think they've ever done it with humans, because it's uh, super dangerous. <laughs> also, yeah. you don't really want liquid in your lungs. But yeah, theoretically, you can uh, have this liquid fill a room, and you go in, and rather than drown, you carry on, presumably with quite a lot of effort, because you've got to get all this liquid out of your lungs and then back in.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. You'd have to really work those intercostal muscles. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, if that's that was what ether was like, creepy. that wouldn't be fun. No, it wouldn't, if it was just, like, thick and stodgy. Um, I don't like that at all, because... because, no. obviously, unless... you feel like
0: you're drowning, presumably.
1: That's the thing. Would your brain sort of get used to the idea? Like, you'd be initially scared, and then you'd be like, okay, no, this is working. I imagine no. I imagine the brain is just, like, liquid in lungs, not okay. And so, yeah, it'd be like being waterboarded but worse like well I don't know because
0: you know stories of people who have drowned and then subsequently come back um, Mm. say that there's a often there's a moment where you do breathe in and there's Mm. this moment of calm so maybe once you've got Ah. it in after a certain amount of time you you could get used to it I don't imagine it would ever be pleasant but
1: okay I mean unless there's like a weird high associated with it because you know maybe they, they get that moment of calm extremely briefly before they pass out um but this stuff could you know give you that consistently as long as you keep it you'd have to keep it oxygenated though wouldn't you because i mean like the oxygen isn't going to go isn't like going to flow through this goop at enough of a
0: rate something like a fish like an aquarium oxygenator wouldn't you
1: and you'd have to or yeah you'd have to keep moving around as well because if you just sit tight and keep like breathing in quote-unquote the same sort of lung full that's right in front of you then you're going to be in trouble aren't you you'd have to keep moving around the room Ah, oh, that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> I don't know where really I fun. found that out, but anyway, yeah, that just came back to me. That is excellent, though. That is super weird science. It gives things which
0: might be a bit gross. I, this isn't quite as horrifying as that idea, oh, but wait. Uh, I'm going to go back to humorism. So, mm. uh, this is the idea that the body's health was dependent on the balance of four humours, um, mm-hmm. which were blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. So... If your humours were out of balance, this would lead to health problems. So this is where quite a lot of bloodletting came from. Uh, yeah. Like, oh, you got too much... For, I don't know why they always went to, hey, too much blood. Never like, hey, too much phlegm, <laughs> cough into this tissue. Um, yeah, it's right. blood.
1: Too much blood. That's your problem, buddy. We're going to have to let <laughs> some of your blood out. That's yeah. doctrine for
0: you. But then presumably from this perspective, suddenly we'd be bloodletting again. Like in mm-hmm. some cases or yeah. um but also producing synthetic versions of the humors or possibly just harvesting humors from people who had too much and injecting it into people who didn't have enough
1: right like blood transfusions but for what just these four things be like hey i yeah. need some phlegm like i'm under the weather <laughs> yeah you've got you've got a phlegm bank and it's yeah. just
0: hordes of people with colds just
1: mm. hacking into tissues <laughs> which Extremely are collected by valuable. Nurses. Oh good lord. Now why does bile get in there twice? Cuz I'll be honest, I don't even know what bile is for.
0: I don't I don't think there is a distinction between yellow bile and black bile in modern medicine. I could be wrong. But, oh really? Uh
1: yeah, so they picked some weird ones, like blood. I get it; that's a major bodily fluid. That's fine. But then, like, they could have gone with vomit or something, you know, like gastric juices, something like, like There's a lot of fluids in the body, but they were like, nah, bile," like the lesser known one. And you know what? There's two kinds. We're gonna say, yeah, that's just yeah, really. They, they didn't go with
0: tears. and were like, you've got too many tears. Quick, right? what's This uh, sad, <laughs> sad theatre piece. <laughs> have to drain or your I'm just gonna talk to you about uh, how doomed the oceans are.
1: Yes, exactly. God, yeah, that'd be a whole different uh, brand of medicine. I like that. So instead, to get rid of your bile in a humane fashion without, like, cutting open your gallbladder? Where do you keep bile? Is it in the spleen somewhere? I think it's
0: stored in the gallbladder and produced in the spleen. So, uh, it could be wrong.
1: Okay, it's right, some You know, one of those squishy bits, whatever. So unless you want to have a uh, an invasive procedure every time it turns out you've got too much yellow bile, um, they'd have to figure out a way to, like make your bile rise, like, you know, like, make it just just disgust you until you throw some of it up. Yeah. Medicine would take a turn, I think. Or well, like, I, th- I think, I should know this again, because of biology
0: degree, but anyway, I've forgotten. <laughs> I think bile is for neutralizing stomach acid that makes its way into the intestine. Uh, eh. So you could just give someone a really heavy meal, so mm-hmm. that they get indigestion and have to pump out a lot of bile to deal with all the acid that ends up in their intestines.
1: Okay. Okay. That's the kind of doctoring I can get behind because they'd be like, (laughs) all right, what is the most like decadent, rich meal you can imagine? Go nuts, my man. Don't even worry about those trans fats or whatever. We we want you to feel awful at the end of this. Okay. If you get up from that table and you don't hate yourself, you haven't done it right. (laughs) Yeah. Another, uh,
0: like, I did uh, some more looking into humorism, and it's also been linked with uh, the four temperaments as well. Mm -hmm. So these were um, the the idea that there were four basic personality types, which in some ways has stuck around, but that it was based on how much of these humours you had in you. So if you were sanguine, you had too much, you had a lot of blood, more blood than the other three, (laughs) and it meant you were very talkative, you were enthusiastic, you are basically an extrovert. If you were choleric, you were too much yellow bile, so you were uh, basically quite ambitious, independent, that sort of thing. If you were melancholic, mm. you were introverted, um, you had too much black bile. And if you were phlegmatic, obviously, too much phlegm, but you were really mm. relaxed and <laughs> easygoing for some reason.
1: Um, we're talking about the Hogwarts houses. The time. These are the Hogwarts houses, essentially, right? The Gryffindors <laughs> are sanguine, the choleric ones are slithering melancholic raven claws i guess and then just like the mellowed out hufflepuffs yeah just, just Hufflepuff with a,
0: a, a chorus of never-ending coughing it's like freshers week but all the time <laughs> oh, bloody i guess that is again. their curse
1: <laughs> yeah loyal to a full and just uh cannot get any sleep in this stupid dormitory
0: yeah whereas all the gryffindors which are just bright red because of
1: all the blood just too much <laughs>
0: <laughs> Color coded for
1: your convenience. Absolutely. Think how much easier all the Facebook quizzes and stuff would be. Like personality science would just be way easier. You wouldn't have to muck around with these like Myers Briggs uh sort of tables with the what is it, like sixteen normally, and then like they keep, you know, updating and advising and no, there's four. Okay? We figured it out. Don't get greedy. There's four types of people and you're done. Just Yeah, and you don't need to do that. a test.
0: You just well, you don't have to do a, a written test. They just take your Your like the measurements of your four humors, and they're like, right here you are, dead easy. And that's how it is. But but presumably, um, you would be able to affect people's moods and maybe even their basic personalities through these same adjustments to the humors. So you get oh, you're feeling very anxious. So you might prescribe them doses of phlegm, Mm. (laughs) or Mm. or like drugs that make you phlegmier, and that would calm them down.
1: That's very good
0: it wouldn't be very nice um, but it would me- it would mean I-, I guess everyone would be a lot more balanced like in terms of uh, I-, I guess the ambitious people would stay ambitious or whatever but if you're quite introverted and you're like I want to be more extroverted you have a blood transfusion or yeah if I've got you're... like a
1: networking event coming up I need to get in the zone eat a load of black pudding
0: yeah or if you need to be more relaxed uh, you're-, you're an extrovert but you're a bit too talkative then you mm-hmm. need to calm down you get someone to cough in your mouth.
1: Yeah, I mean, suddenly disease would have a whole, um, you know, new utility, basically. Because, like, yeah, the common cold would suddenly be uh, very useful if it could make you phlegmatic. <laughs> and everyone who has a cold, normally, well, the
0: stereotype is that men, when they have colds, have man flu and that they get all grumbling and complain about it. But right. suddenly, if you've got a cold, just be chill. you're just like, totally relaxed. You're like, hey, don't even worry. I, I'm not coming into work, but I'm going to just sit here and have the best time
1: hysterical as f i mean we're treating it as if uh phlegmatic people are just like high the whole time i suspect <laughs> well, well but maybe uh, yeah. it was like the degree like the amount of phlegm maybe you could you could really you know you could get there if you knew what you were doing i like it it, it reminds me of um this is another pratchett reference um zorgo the retrophrenologist.
0: i don't i don't really remember zorgo
1: okay well he's mentioned extremely briefly in i think it's men at arms um and basically it's based on the outmoded model of uh, phrenology which is the idea that you could read um the bumps on people's skulls um in similar fashion to like reading people's palms say uh and yeah the idea was it actually led to the discovery that the brain was to a degree compartmentalized so we have to thank them for that like the idea that like yeah your speech center's over here and this hypothalamus does that and all the rest of it uh they reckoned that bits of your brain would like you know say you're very extroverted and talkative those bits of your brain would overdevelop and, like, push your skull out slightly in that area. (laughs) Yeah, so someone carefully reading the bumps on your skull could be like, oh, yeah, I can tell what personality you have. And so um, (laughs) they've got a business on the Discworld where they do the opposite. So you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm cowardly and indecisive. And they're like, right, okay, some courage and uh, decision-making, here here we go. And then they hit you on the head with a mallet, but in like a specific <laughs> location.
0: Could you, through um, sheer force of will, grow a sort of set of horns? So you're like, Ooh. I'm going to focus on these areas of my personality and uh, to such an extent that I grow mm-hmm. my skull out in two horns. If uh, I don't know what that minor. would be, that would be your cortex,
1: so decision making goal you're very goal orientated maybe you'd be able to tell how good like a manager someone is you know like a high-powered executive who's great at making decisions and delegating and is extremely driven they would literally have devil horns (laughs) they turn into the devil devil Mm -hmm. wears prada suddenly becomes a very different film Uh, yeah yeah, maybe
0: not that different it's just she has horns all the way through it's very and not it's not a very subtle metaphor
1: yeah you know what they could just make that now just like a very simple remastering (laughs)
0: Yeah, and any sort of uh, balance-based athlete would um, have a massive cerebellum, so the back of their head would be huge, almost oh, like uh, quite, a, quite a lot of aliens in sci-fi. We just make their heads really long. Um, it's true. So yeah, they just have a big bowl that, like, bulge at the end because they're, yeah their reflex functions are so highly tuned.
1: And also, maybe that helps stabilize them a bit, slightly lower <laughs> center of mass, you know, there's a synergy there. Yeah, you don't need to hold your arms out on the tightrope anymore, you've just got a massive meter-long uh, cerebellum. <laughs> oh, terrifying. <laughs> I don't like that. I think phonology was uh, supposed to be a bit more subtle, but yeah, the idea that it was is, is A, real, and B, just like terrifyingly visible. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Listen, while we're talking about (laughs) psychological stuff, um, something a bit less visible and obvious, Um, the five stages of grief, uh, which are, I can't even remember them. They're like denial, anger, bargaining, Uh,
0: uh, depression depression and acceptance. And then acceptance.
1: Is that it? There we go. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter because they're not real, um, apparently, turns out. Yeah, or rather, my understanding, um, credit to Vedra here, because she reads the psych textbooks um, and those things. So, uh, apparently, they were, I don't know how long they've been kicking around, but nobody was ever like, yeah, this is basically a script for uh, every time you experience grief, you're going to go through these five stages in this order. Um, it was more like, I've noticed that specifically, people experiencing um It's not even just any grief. I think it's about coming to terms with your own mortality. Um, Yeah. So they noticed that, yeah, some of the psychological effects of coming to grips with your own mortality uh, could be divided into these responses. But it was never like every person will go through exactly these stages in this order. It was like some people respond with bargaining and then maybe they get depressed afterwards. It was like it could be in any proportion, any order you know, it's it's way more loose weave than yeah, it's that's kind of become. That's
0: useless and pretty obvious.
1: <laughs> well, welcome to the wonderful world of psychology, though, uh, <laughs> where my understanding is, because to be fair, it's crazy difficult to figure anything out, because you can't just, like, go and test it at all easily. Uh, you rely on, like, observing and self-reporting and trying to understand really complex people just by talking to them for a period of time and then trying to overcome your massive biases. It's, uh, it's a complex business. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we basically, we just latched onto this as a culture and been like, oh yeah, five stages of grief. And we have all these jokes and all these... It's just, I feel like it's sunk quite deeply into the consciousness. But if it was actually real and actually predictable, like, uh, you know, oh yeah, a parent died. Okay, you got mm, two and a half weeks of anger. Uh, about three days of bargaining, and then like think how much easier it'd be to like plan your like uh, compassionate leave from work. Yeah, I mean, whatever. it's
0: touching on um, when we talked about being able to uh, plan out your emotions for the year again. You exactly. Be like, people will ring you up and go, Hey, do you want to um, come to uh, this party uh, in three weeks' time? And you go, You check your diary, it's like, Oh, sorry, I got anger that week. <laughs> Yeah. I can't no, come. You don't, you, I, mm-hmm. I won't be any good, you know. I yeah. I, especially if I have a drink. no, I won't come this time. But for the week after I'll be bargaining, so that'll be a good time to catch me. <laughs> but yeah, that might prepared. that might actually be alright. But I will ask for drinks vouchers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there might actually be some things that you're better at when you're angry. So, you know, like when a loved one dies, like suddenly you've got a rare opportunity, like, oh, yeah, I'm finally gonna climb that mountain or whatever. I've got this one week window where I'm just gonna yeah. be furious and that's gonna propel me.
0: Or all those difficult conversations that you like with people you don't particularly like and you've always wanted to say stuff to them, it's an opportunity yes. to get Right. Them out it's in hard the open. to call
1: out your boss for the sexual harassment or whatever. Yeah, that's the yeah. time. In probably a very unhealthy way. Yeah. But um you know, <laughs> better then than uh, than your remaining loved ones, so Yeah, I like the idea of it being predictable and also uh, not just, because I think normally it's brought up like in connection to bereavement, which makes sense, although it's drifted a bit from the original meaning of like own mortality, but just the idea that anytime you're sad, those are just the stages of of, like metabolising the hormones that get released. It's like, oh I'm sad, okay I've been sad for like, you can predict it, like listening for how long it takes for thunder to rumble after uh, the lightning strike, you're like I've been sad for 40 minutes. In about 20 minutes, I'm probably going to start bargaining. For about seven minutes. I just, yeah. I want emotions to follow this, like, very predictable pattern. Yeah. Someone says, oh, I don't really like your new haircut. That's
0: not very nice. And you go, huh, they didn't just say that. They didn't say that. No, everyone likes my haircut. They're ridiculous. <laughs> and then you move on to, <laughs> move on to anger. When you get angry. <laughs> you move on to yeah, bargaining. It's briefly. like, if I give you £20, will you say you like my haircut? <laughs>
1: Please. <laughs> See, that's another misunderstood one, because people aren't like, okay I'm literally going to buy my own immortality. I'm pretty sure the bargaining is meant to be like, um, okay well, at least I still like you try and like find ways around it so that it's not such a big deal. Or you're like, okay well, now I'm going to I'm going to live life fully. Like, yeah, this person that I loved has has died and everything's terrible, but decided that uh, it's going to be okay provided now I live each day to the fullest. That's what's going to make it all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've ended up with this idea that it's about like, yeah, yeah you know, your, your dog's died, pretty soon you're going to go through this weird phase of just wanting to haggle the whole time. Yeah. That's just part it's, of the green it's process.
0: It's also not very healthy, because the final stage is acceptance, and it's very much in the sort of, the, the vision I have in my head of this is a one-way graph, it's just arrows in one direction, mm-hmm. and there's no going back the other direction. So it's no, like, no. you've hit acceptance, and you never touch on any of those other ones again. They're done. So you're like, are yeah, you sad for a bit? Nope. You, you're accepted. <laughs> there's no going back. <laughs>
1: Don't, you're, not, you're not allowed yeah. to be angry.
0: You've accepted it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, there's vowels. Emotional valves. You're not going back through, buddy. I'm sorry. So uh, yeah, everyone would just be very sort of
0: zen about the whole thing, I guess, after a certain amount of time.
1: It would add some predictability, yeah, and things like, um, I'm sure there'd still be some variance individual to individual, but stuff like, if, if it was associated with other life events as well, like maybe not the same sequence of the same things, but like if there was an equivalent, you know, like after childbirth or something, um, things would, we'd lose a lot of the uncertainty, because let's be honest, feelings are complicated, people just feel stuff, like who knows, who knows what people are doing, and why, and when, that's crazy, if we had like a script to follow, I think it would help. Do you have
0: any other um,
1: crazy old theories? God, I think the one I was the, like the last one I was thinking about was um, just what if the sun actually went around the Earth like they said, right? Um, and mostly because I just really like the idea that like presumably they had different ideas about the sun's size. Well, that's I what I was assumed... thinking,
0: and how close it was,
1: right? Presumably they thought it was like the same size as the moon or something. I don't know, but I like the idea that they got all the measurements correct size-wise, so they knew the sun was like freaking mahoosive. And so I'm just picturing, like, little Earth there at the centre of the solar system. And then just this gargantuan star just spinning around, <laughs> smashing up the rest of the planets. It just, it tickles me. I don't know why. I like that idea. I'm like a bull in a china shop.
0: And I also like the idea that they discovered gravity. So, like, hang on. How, how is the sun going around the Earth? This doesn't make sense. There <laughs> right. must be a really strong rope somewhere on Earth and we got to find it. <laughs> we've got to find the Maybe sun that's what they Maybe what thought was at the North Pole, or Before the South Pole. Before
1: it through. Yeah. That's the tether okay.
0: that keeps the sun in place. Mm-hmm. Sky hooks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, if, if it was small, because we're abiding by gravity, it was like moon-sized, then it mm-hmm. would have an effect on tides, like the moon, presumably. Yeah, that's true, actually. And I think the sun does have a subtle effect on tides, but not as much as the moon, because it is so far away. Um... And more consistent,
1: I suppose. Mm.
0: But also there's, like, um, the ancient Greeks, I forget which one, but uh, believed that, well, he posed the the suggestion that the sun was just a flaming ball of superheated metal. So, obviously, they didn't have an idea of nuclear fusion back then. So so it's really Mm. hot metal on fire. Um, So in which case, we could perhaps have missions to the sun. So uh, maybe you get some of that anti-phlogiston coating, you cover yourself right. in that and you head off to the sun and yeah you got the first uh, sun mission
1: The sun lander yeah you could just walk around on that sucker like it's it's toasty like a like a beach on a hot day you don't want to keep your sandals in the same spot too long yeah but yeah, and the, the footage
0: is not great because it's just uh it's just white <laughs> you cannot it's see anything because it's so
1: overexposed yeah that makes sense so it's a also, lot easier
0: to frame as well which is good news <laughs> for the uh, That's true. for the uh, shadow
1: government Yeah, yeah, faking the sun landings much easier than faking the moon landings. That was the Hypotheticals podcast.
0: Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Hypotheticals. That's Hypotheticals without the R. Follow me individually at RainToltus.
1: That's rain like the weather phenomenon.
0: And tortoise like the animal.
1: And you can follow me at Mr MrHowl. That's M-R-H-O-W-L. If you've enjoyed this, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Because it really helps. And we'll see you next time. Bye.
0: thing's got me phlegmy now <laughs> yeah
1: I, I i've got like sympathy phlegm going on <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> god this, uh. this episode really is going to be sponsored by mr Fumbelty's phlegm factory mm. it's just going to devolve into into expectoration andy hello <laughs> I don't know why I do that. I have this habit. I don't know, because sometimes you leave a pause
0: and sometimes you don't. I know, I'm so erratic.
1: I'm sorry, it must be an absolute nightmare. (laughs) That's quite a good blooper. It's so stupid. It's just me like calling to you from across the airwaves Andy! And you're like, hello? (laughs) Yes, still here. We've been talking this whole time.
0: Yeah, uh, (laughs) awful. okay, Okay, I will answer, I will answer.